welcome to Brandon Speaks. If you are looking for a fascinating podcast related to optimal health, rehabilitation, and human performance based on how the body actually works, that is authentic and at times a tad animated, you have come to the right place. Go grab a notebook, a pen, and some organic popcorn and get ready for a journey with your host as he discusses health-related topics and perhaps life in general based on research and his own practical clinical experience. The contents of this podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice. Please consult a licensed healthcare or functional medicine provider before embarking on any health, fitness, or dietary change. And now, here is your host, Brandon J. Alleman, owner and operator of Innate Movement and Wellness. Let's listen in and learn as Brandon speaks. All right, everyone, welcome to episode four of Brandon Speaks. I'm uh, going to take a little bit of time today to speak about detoxification. I was trying to figure out what I wanted episode four to be about the other day, and detoxification popped up in my head, so I figured it was just as good a topic as any. Uh, certainly, it's a huge buzzword in the health and fitness industry. And I think a lot of what gets put out there about detoxification, what it is, what you need to be doing in order to uh, quote unquote properly detoxify and all this kind of stuff, to be honest with you, I think it's most of it's complete garbage. Uh, so I wanted to you know, sort of put out a few of my thoughts and a little bit of clarification on detoxification and how I see it. It's been at least a decade or more. I can remember back in my heavy functional medicine days, pretty much everybody that came to see me was coming from you know, various practitioners and naturopaths and functional medicine experts, etc. And everybody was on some, some sort of a, a cleanse or a detoxification protocol, a seven-day detox, a 10-day detox, a six-month detox, you know, whatever, heavy metal detox, cleanse your liver, shove all sorts of things up your rectum, and detoxify, detoxify, detoxify. And quite often, whenever I would sit down with these people and ask them, okay, that, that's cool, you know, you're doing all these fancy things to, to, you know, for whatever, your kidneys, your liver, your gallbladder, your, your colon, etc. But what, what do you eat? Or how much time has been spent by these other practitioners that are throwing you into these programs, which, by the way, many of them aren't super cheap. Um, how many of them have asked you anything about what you eat on a daily basis and how you live? What's your lifestyle like? What are your, what, 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 what's the quality of your food? What are your food sources? Typical answer was, well, we, we didn't spend any time on that. It was, you know, get my testing done get my results. Here's my, here's my program. So, uh, I think that's pretty backwards. <clears throat> it's not pretty backwards. It is backwards. Uh, and I'm going to spend a good, well, I'll, I'll try not to be too long winded with it, but I'm going to spend a decent amount of time to try to clarify what I mean by all that. So if, if, if you're spending a lot of time on, on social media and blogs and articles and all that kind of stuff, you're, you're bound to find it, it, the amount of books that are written on detoxification programs and so on and so forth it, it's endless um, 
right? So for, for a little bit of context, I'll start out with uh, Tabor's Medical Dictionary's definition of detoxification or sort of a summary of what detoxification actually is. And it says detoxification is the reduction and chemical alteration of the toxic properties of a poisonous substance, which when taken into the body by ingestion, inhalation, injection, or absorption, cause damage to structure and interferes or disturbs normal physiological functions. So that's the technical context or technical definition of what detoxification actually is, right? So basically in a nutshell, uh, our detoxification system helps the helps our body manage our exposure to uh, endogenous and exogenous substances, right? So uh, exogenous substances are substances that are found outside of your body. So there are tons of toxic things and substances in the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water that we drink, so on and so forth. Uh, and then endogenous uh, substances or substances uh, that are, t are toxins that may be formed uh, within the body itself. So they're typically uh, byproducts from normal physiological functions, hormones and other biochemicals and all that kind of stuff that get uh, broken down and, and eliminated once they've been used. So there's, it, it's, there's no denying that the world is a fairly toxic place. Right? One of the things that, that I like to tell most of uh, my patients and clients is that you, know, you can run, but you can't hide. There's, you're going to have exposure to this kind of stuff. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You're going to be exposed to something at some point. Right? You, can, you can live as, quote unquote, a clean lifestyle as you want. Uh, but many of these exogenous substances, we're, we're going to encounter them on a daily basis. Right? There's, there's simply no way around it. Uh, so, looking at some, some statistics uh, that may be a little bit old, but I haven't looked into them since writing them down. Uh, I think that the notes that I have in front of me are from, from about eight years ago. So, um, yeah, there were studies that were done by the EPA, I believe, back in uh, 1992 or maybe 1994, where there were like 2.2 billion pounds of toxic chemicals released into the environment in the United States. 2.2 uh, billion is a pretty substantial amount of toxic stuff floating around in the environment, right? And the estimations uh, are a lot higher. Say 10 years later, it was more than double that at, at 4.7 billion. So they are, uh, they're everywhere. And without a doubt, they're, they're contributing, they're certainly major contributing factors to, to many of the health challenges that people face on a, on, a, on a regular and on a daily basis. Uh, these, these, these things are everywhere. And like I said, you can run, but you can't hide. So everybody's like, oh, everybody's talking about all these toxins, toxins. I remember a show, uh, I don't even know why I was watching it. I must have been a glutton for punishment on that day. Or maybe a patient of mine asked me to watch it or something. But I think I saw it, it was a, it was a rerun because I don't watch the show The Doctors. I don't even know if that's still on TV or not. Uh, but there was an episode where one of those clowns was up there and just yelling about how everybody was freaking out about toxins and he didn't understand why because he doesn't know where any of them are show me the toxins i don't i don't see them anywhere i don't i don't understand why people are so freaked out about toxins yeah well that guy i don't remember his name but i'll say it on on record that dude's a moron right because the toxic toxic substances are literally everywhere they're in the food okay since the first place you would look would be 
I would say food. You could certainly go to the air, but let's go with food. Since uh, since World War II, we've added well over 10,000 man-made chemicals to our food supply. Less than 3% of those have been tested in any quantity for its effects on human physiology whatsoever. Right? So 10,000 man-made chemicals, and that was, a, that was a statistic that I found, and that was in 2004 whenever I originally looked into that. So there's no telling what that number is right now. Um, but there's an unlimited number of chemicals in the food supply. Right? You've, got, you've got chemicals like styrene and dioxin. You've got antibiotics and hormones that have made their way into the food supply. Preservatives, additives, fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, rodenticides. You name it. Standard American diet type food and commercially grown foods are full of toxic mess and there's 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 no way around that you can look at research that was done uh, they've done uh, human fat biopsies where uh, they found a number 100% of them I can't remember how many were done but 100% of them had uh, contained residues of undetoxified chemicals of all types there was a, a research study done on uh, the umbilical cords and the umbilical blood of newborn babies. About 280 of them, I think, were uh, analyzed. And on average, there were, f I think, 44 or 45 different pesticides and herbicides found in the cord blood of newborns. Right, so for somebody to be on television and sitting up there and telling people, oh, I don't understand why people are freaked out about toxins. I don't see them. They're not anywhere. You're just not paying attention. You're just a, that's just paid for bullshit. And pardon my language, but that, that kind of stuff really aggravates me because, to be honest with you, nonsense is quite well funded in, in today's world, especially anything related to health and wellness that you see on TV. Uh, so the food supply is heavily contaminated, right? You, have, you also have uh, xenobiotics, which are all over the place, uh, like styrene, that's in, like, oh, that's, that's in your styrofoam stuff and in plastics. Uh, dioxins are in, in bleach products from, from diapers and milk cartons, so on and so forth. You have, uh, you know, exhaust from vehicles and manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. Pesticides, benzene, uh, that's, that's going to be more like gasoline and, and some of the backing of, of carpets, right? You, you buy a new house, you move in, your carpet is going to outgas, you know, over 100 chemicals for at least the first year. And I think the number is a lot higher than that, uh, but it's at least a hundred new, new, a new car, the new car smell. Yeah, that's, those are toxins. Okay. Uh, xenoestrogens and pesticides and, and all of the commercial agricultural chemicals, uh, phthalates and plastics, cyanide, heavy metals, you name it. There's, there's stuff everywhere in, in products, in, in foods, in, things that you handle on a regular basis. The air is also contaminated with a ton of petrochemicals. I don't think anybody would really try to uh, argue that point. Uh, public water is, is a problem, right? Tap water is, a, is not really a, a naturally occurring substance. It's more of a man-made chemical uh, liquid, really. Um, so a lot of the, the, the municipal water supply is... Mm, in all honesty, not really properly detoxified. Chemical substances are added to the water to try to clean it up. Chlorine, fluoride, depending on where you live, all this other kind of stuff. 
right? So there's, and then there's, on top of that, you have drugs and medication that people are taking from over-the-counter medications to prescription medications. All these things, right? And that's not even to say anything about, you know, household cleaners and cosmetic products, so on and so forth. I think the average female is probably exposed to somewhere, I think the statistic is somewhere around 400 chemicals before she leaves her bathroom in the morning because of makeup and lotions and all these different things. You could probably just go ahead and throw males into that mix too now because everybody's spraying themselves down with all these body sprays because they think it's going to make them more attractive or something stupid. Uh, So the number of chemicals that people are exposed to just living and and breathing is, is astronomical, right? So there's, for, for people to question whether or not the, the toxins are there and whether or not they're playing a role in altering human physiology and just over, overloading the detoxification system and creating a huge physiological load on human biology is, is just completely asinine. You're just not paying attention or you, you're, you're paid to say something else if, if you're not acknowledging the facts here. Uh, there's also research that suggests a lot of forms of cancer can be caused by a, a, a compromised ability to adequately detoxify xenobiotics and petrochemicals and a lot of things that we're exposed to on on a daily basis, right? So that's a little bit about you know some of the some of the sources uh, of toxins. Uh, there's a lot of symptoms of of toxicity, right? Basically, the sim- to be honest, the symptoms of toxicity could pretty much be any symptom that you can think of from, from fatigue to uh, weight gain or problems losing weight, depression, uh, leth- uh, lethargy, uh, muscle pain, anxiety, certainly GI issues and headaches, uh, memory loss, joint pain, um, autoimmune conditions, arthritis. You know, on and on. We can go infertility, you know, possibly cancer, you know, nutrient deficiencies. There's a there's an endless list of symptoms that can be associated to to toxicity, right? So it's very important. I will acknowledge that, of course, it is important to make sure that the detoxification system and the organs of detoxification are functioning properly in order to help combat the exposure that we have to all of these chemicals on a moment-to-moment, short-term, long-term basis, and just as a result of being a human being on planet Earth. Now, when it comes to detoxification, most people are only thinking about the liver, and the liver is a very, very, certainly a very important detoxification organ. However, it's not the only one. Right. That yes, the liver is important for detoxification, but so are your kidneys, so is your spleen, so are your lungs, and so is your skin. Right. So it's not just about the liver, and the liver is not simply a detoxification organ. Right. The liver itself is is composed of a a, a number of different cells that work together, and actually has a, a role of, or it has a, a function in 500 different uh, metabolic functions within the body or has a role in 500 different functions in the, meta, in, in the body. So it's not just about the liver's ability to be able to detoxify stuff. Yes, uh, you have some major detoxification pathways in the liver 
and I'll kind of get into that and you know perhaps I should apologize ahead of time this this episode may get a little bit technical at times but I, I honestly feel that it's necessary to educate up in situations like this instead of trying to dumb things down because when when you dumb things down all you get is you know pretty much what you see just looking around in in society today so yes the liver has a huge role in neutralizing and excreting all the compounds that you know all the toxic compounds that we come into contact with and it's it has to be balanced with immune responses to to bacterial toxins and other things that are coming into the system that can exert a toxic load on the body uh, so the liver obviously is a big deal because it helps to, to filter the blood you know, 75 percent of the liver's blood supply is uh, venous delivered uh, th that happens through something that's called the portal vein which travels directly from the intestine pancreas and some of the other abdominal organs All right so When, when when venous blood arrives at the liver, it flows through capillary-like vessels uh, <clears throat> that are called sinusoids or sinusoids and goes to the hepatocytes. Hepatocytes are just, that's just a fancy word for, for liver cells. So you have approximately 60 ounces or 60 fluid ounces of blood flowing through the liver roughly every minute. That's what you'll find if you look these kind of things up in, in really elaborate and cool-looking medical textbooks. 60 fluid ounces of blood flows through the liver roughly every minute, and that blood can be easily loaded with bacteria, toxic compounds, immune complexes, medications, you name it. All right, so the liver has a primary role for filtering the blood. It has a, a role in the production and secretion of bile, uh, which is obviously the that's a carrier for cholesterol and fat-soluble toxins. Uh, also helps with uh, fat emulsification and, and, and digestion of, of fats. And then you get to the big, the big players, not that fil filtering the blood and, and production of and secretion of bile are not big players, but you have the biotransformation aspects of the liver, right? Which is whenever you get into phase one and phase two detoxification of the liver. Okay, so your 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 phase one detoxification pathways those are, are typically referred to as your uh, cytochrome cytochrome P four forty eight and P four fifty pathways. Uh, that's that's what's referred to as functionalization within the detoxification pathways. And then you have phase two, which is referred to as conjugation within the detoxification pathways. Okay, so conjugation basically adds some. So once you get to phase two of detoxification in the liver, the conjugation process basically adds a, a, a water soluble group of some kind to a reactive site. Uh, of a given substance that's been made to be hopefully a little bit less toxic than it was whenever it came in after going through phase one pathways. So those are usually, it's usually a, a hydroxyl group, a carboxyl group, or an amino or an amine group that's added uh, during uh, phase two conjugation in the liver. 
and then you know you it goes through uh, biotransformation or conversion and you're going to excrete that stuff out in the urine or the feces All right so phase one is your your first um sort of we'll call it like a first enzymatic defense against foreign compounds that are floating around in the blood right so phase one you have oxidation reduct there there's oxidation there's reduction and or uh, hydrolysis reactions that's a whole bunch of chemistry that you don't necessarily need to know the ins and outs of but these reactions or under the guidance of your cytochrome P448 and P450 pathways, which is going to be somewhere between 50 and 100 different types of enzymes that are designed to neutralize toxins or, or change the toxic chemical to a form uh, that's sort of, uh, a, in most cases, it's going to be something that's a little less toxic, but it, the, the toxin is goes into a, a form of activated intermediates uh, which then you're gonna then it's going to be neutralized by phase two of the enzyme system uh, so basically to, to, to try to bring that down to something that's somewhat easy to understand is in phase one you're taking something that's super toxic and you're sending it through a bunch of different pathways and uh, chemical reactions with the use of a whole bunch of different enzymes and you're making that substance a little less toxic now there are times where things are actually made can be actually can actually be made to be a little more toxic it's kind of a it's, a it's a tricky scenario in some cases but for the for the sake of simplicity we'll just say in phase one you go from something that's pretty toxic to something that's a little less toxic with the help of a bunch of enzyme systems so ideally yeah, you know, so the biotransformation process prepares the phase one compound to go into phase two, and the phase two, uh, the phase two, the molecules undergo further transformation by the liver, by a second series of enzymes, and then things are prepared uh, to be uh, excreted in the uh, liver. Uh, I'm sorry, in the in the urine or the feces. So you're gonna you're gonna pee it out. You're gonna poop it out. Uh, so there, there's also there's a lot of metabolic activity that's taking place in phase one of detoxification, right? Because there's lots of changes that are being made to compounds with enzyme reactions and all these sorts of stuff. So that can actually generate some free radicals uh, that can be very damaging to the liver. So what is a free radical? Uh, most Dr. Seuss simple explanation I can give for that is if you think of uh, if you look at a fire that's burning you know, like a, a bonfire or a campfire or something like that, the little sparks that are flying off the top of of the fire, you can consider those to be free radicals, and they're going to kind of run around and cause some cellular damage and this type of stuff. So some of the phase one detoxification can generate free radicals that can be somewhat damaging to the liver. Um, so you have glutathione, which is arguably the body's most important antioxidant. I would I would generally agree with that. I would also potentially put carbon dioxide up there in that category, uh, but that's perhaps topic of another conversation. Um, 
So glutathione is, is probably the most important antioxidant in phase one detoxification for sure, and it's essential for the successful uh, excretion of, of toxins, right? So with, with phase one and phase two, there are certain nutrients that are key for each of these phases of detoxification to take place and to, and to function optimally. So some of the key nutrients for phase one detoxification are uh, calcium, uh, vitamin D3, uh, vitamin A, vitamin C, uh, I believe vitamin E is in there. A whole host of the B vitamins are, are necessary for uh, phase one detoxification. Uh, I know B6 is a particular uh, big player in that. Um, B B3, B12, uh, pretty much all of your Bs are in there. Uh, there's some some key minerals that are required for phase one to operate at function at optimal function and capacity copper magnesium and zinc are the big ones those are also three very big minerals for energy production protection of the nervous system optimal digestive function uh, optimal thyroid function copper magnesium zinc play play a role in in all of that stuff um, and then there are other nutrients that are required for phase one as well but those are the sort of the, some of the some of the bigger players uh, so there, there's also it, there's of course very elaborate functional medicine tests that you can do to assess phase one phase one de phase one phase two detoxification type stuff but the symptoms are some of the associated symptoms of an underactive phase one Right, the first thing that I usually will talk to people about to get a sense of whether or not phase one detoxification might not quite be doing what it should is if they're environmentally sensitive. All right, so one of the things I'll ask them is, does the smell of gasoline bother you? Or really strong smells. And like if you're, uh, if you go to, if, if, if I'm working with a female, uh, which oftentimes I am because the only time a male comes in for nutritional or holistic health work is if his penis stops working. Um, you know, I'll ask whenever you go to your, your nail appointment, if you get your nails done, you know, manicures, pedicures type stuff, whenever you walk in, what's your initial reaction? You know, does the smell really, really bother you or is it, you know, is it not, not really all that big of a deal? Uh, so environmental sensitivity is, is one symptom of an underactive phase one. Also uh, alcohol or caffeine intolerance, right? So if someone takes one sip of coffee or one sip of an espresso and then they're bouncing around you know all over the place for hours from just one sip or a very small exposure that's an indication that phase one might not be doing what it should or somebody who simply can't handle any amount of alcohol you know they, they'll, they'll drink you know half a glass of wine and they're wasted or you know one beer and it's you know their toast bread it's over um and then one, one, uh, <laughs> there's some uh, discussion about this that I, that I know people are having amongst themselves is that you know whenever you eat asparagus and your and your pee smells, you know, not not long after eating it, that's actually somewhat of a symptom. I say a symptom, somewhat of an indicator that you may have an underactive phase one uh, detoxification. Uh, the 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 adverse can be true as well. You can also have an overactive phase one. So just like anything else in life, these detoxification pathways, you want them to be very balanced, right? So symptoms of an overactive phase one 
which would be this guy, uh, or it was that way for a long period of time, the ability to drink coffee and then you can just go to sleep <laughs> with no sleep disturbance. You know, for the longest time, you know, I don't know, I don't remember exactly when it was I started drinking coffee, but it didn't matter when I'd have it. I could have coffee right before I go to bed, sleep like a baby, doesn't matter. Uh, that's not normal. Uh, a lot of times people think, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, you just have coffee whenever you want, doesn't matter, doesn't affect your sleep. You can drink coffee until 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and it doesn't matter. That's not good. Uh, but an inability or the ability to drink lots of caffeine doesn't have to be coffee, it could just be caffeinated beverages or you know, whatever, uh, well into the evening or, or nighttime hours and not experiencing any sleep disturbance, that's a potential indicator that phase one might be a little bit overactive. Uh, so that's a little bit about phase one detoxification, what it does, how it works, what nutrients are required, and some of the signs or indicators that phase one may be a little bit out of balance with phase two, whether it's underactive or overactive. Once toxic substances go through that phase one process, now you're coming into phase two, which is the conjugation phase, uh, which you have these biotransformed uh, intermediates that have already undergone the enzymatic changes in phase one that undergo further biotransformation in the liver. Uh, with a second series of en enzymes that's called, they're called uh, conjugases. So you, you have uh, a number of different things in, in phase two. You have, uh, you have things like glutathione, which play a role. You have uh, uh, sulfation. You have acetylation. You have methylation, uh, glucuronidation. You have all these different things uh, that are happening. Uh, you also have a, a, other forms of amino acid conjugation that's happening in phase two, which basically these reactions work by adding different things to the substance that's left over from phase one to make it less toxic and to make it soluble in water. It needs to be soluble in water so that you can excrete it in the urine uh, or uh, it can make it out in the feces with bile and, and other things. Um, there's a number of different en enzyme detoxification pathways to, to conjugate the toxins in in phase two. Glutathione conjugation is a big one. Uh, sulfation or sulfoxidation is another big one. Uh, if you uh, there's there's different things that you will get into the nutrients that are influential on on phase two uh, as well, but for, for sulfation and sulfoxidation, as an example, those those pathways use sulfur-containing compounds to detoxify toxins, um, and they make them a little more water-soluble. So a lot of people have diets that are lacking adequate supplies of sulfur, and that tends to weaken or inhibit the phase two pathway. Right? So sulfation can also that 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 aspect of phase two detoxification can also be inhibited by uh, a lot of uh, vitamins, like super high amounts of vitamin B6. So while it's cool to, you know, some at times perhaps lots of people are running around taking uh, B B complexes and, and B6 supplements and all this kind of stuff. You take too much of that and you can actually inhibit some aspects of your phase two 
conjugation detoxification pathways, and that's not uh, necessarily uh, beneficial. Um, there's lots of things that can can help the, the sulfation pathway. Uh, amino acids like taurine, glycine, and glutamine, as, you know, in some of your sulfur-containing foods, you know, egg yolks, you know, certain dairy products. Uh, you know, spinach, red bell pepper. Those are some of the only things that I eat that'll that'll contain uh, sulfur-containing stuff. Um, and that that aspect of detoxification is very easy for that to get uh, messed with. Uh, you can you can see this a lot in people that have uh, joint pain. People have joint pain. They tend to, you know, the, the the consciousness nowadays is if you have a symptom of some kind, you need to pop a pill. So whether it's a drug or you know a, a medically prescribed drug or an over-the-counter drug or a supplement of some kind, people have joint pain. They want to take uh, glucosamine and chondroitin or uh, MSM, all this kind of stuff. Those are all usually if you look at your supplement labels, assuming you're actually getting what they're saying is in there. It's a it's it's glucosamine sulfate. It's uh, chondroitin sulfate, and MSM is methyl sulfonyl methane. So all of these joint support supplements tend to have uh, sulfur-containing compounds in them because the interarticular cartilage of joints is a, a key storage area for sulfur in the body. And when the detoxification pathways in the liver get overloaded or they're not functioning as well as they should or they, you know, your, your diet is in uh, short supply in sulfur-containing uh, foods, then what the body will do is it will actually start to break down the cartilage, uh, interarticular cartilage in and around your joints to supply the sulfur that is needed to keep the detoxification system running because the organ supersedes you know the joint muscles and things like that in the chain of survival so you don't necessarily need a knee you need a liver to function properly um, so a lot of times that's if, if you do have joint pain and you take supplements like that and it works that can be an indicator that the the sulfation or the sulfoxidation uh, aspect of phase two conjugation in the liver is not being adequately supplied uh, through the diet. Uh, there's also glucuronidation. Uh, that's a big one, uh, as is uh, methylation for you know uh, he heavy metals and uh, estrogen detoxification, stuff like that. Um, there's amino acid conjugation where the body basically uses five particular amino acids. Uh, glycine, which may may be my favorite amino acid. Uh, you got to be a super nerd to have a favorite amino acid, by the way. Just throwing that out there. But uh, the five amino acids that the, the, the body will use during amino acid conjugation are glycine, taurine, glutamine, arginine, and ornithine. Uh, so glycine might be the arguably the most important one there. Uh, tons of ways you can you can get extra glycine into the system. Uh, you can do that with uh, you know, things like bone broth and uh, bone broth. And also uh, you can use collagen, uh, Great Lakes gelatin, things like that, which also uh, supply a decent amount of glycine. Um, and there's acetylation and methylation. Uh, those are fairly heavily dependent on uh, thiamine, pantothenic acid, vitamin C, stuff like that. 
key nutrients for phase two B6, as I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, B6 is required actually for the liver to release glycogen. Uh, so that's kind of a big deal. That also plays a pretty big role in, in regulating your blood sugar, which is super important. Um, magnesium is pretty big for phase two detoxification, vitamin C, the amino acids that I just got finished mentioning, all of those are things that are necessary to drive phase two detoxification in the liver. So looking at it again, the symptoms of a weak phase two, or let me not say symptoms, uh, but indicators or possible indicators of a, a phase two detoxification pathway that's a little bit weak is a urine, a urine that has a really strong odor. That's one of the first things I'll ask when uh, I talk to people is, you know, every time you go pee, is it like a really strong odor? Uh, you can be a little bit jaundiced or kind of have a, like a yellowish tint to your skin when phase two is a little bit weak. Um, asthma can actually be linked to a weak phase two. Uh, don't have time to get into that, but that, that can be the result of, of a weak phase two uh, pathway. Uh, and then there's also things that can be caused by just having a, a liver that's a little sluggish or, or toxic. So the, the first thing that immediately pops into mind for me for like toxic sluggish liver situation is headaches uh, and that's another reason why I'll ask people how sensitive are you to environmental stuff you know what's your environmental sensitivity some people go pump gas and they get a headache immediately right your liver's completely overloaded and the detoxification pathways need help um, hypoglycemia can be can be related to that as well and a, a, an inability to tolerate uh, fat in the diet and I'm not I'm not talking about like terrible fats. I'm talking about even even healthy fats that can be found in like grass-fed red meats, uh, you know, really well-made butters, coconut oil, things like that. Some people just can't tolerate fat in their diet almost at all. So that's sort of an overview. I know that might have taken a little bit of time and may have been a little bit technical in spots, but that's an overview of the liver's role in detoxification and a broad stroke through phase one, phase two detoxification, biotransformation, and how the body prepares toxins to be eliminated in the urine or the feces. And so you also have detoxification roles in the liver and the gallbladder, because as I mentioned earlier, the, I mean, I'm sorry, the kidneys and the gallbladder. As I mentioned earlier, the liver is not the only detoxification organ. So there's basically two main areas of excretion for toxic compounds once they've gone through and kind of been uh, transformed or biotransformed in phase one and phase two. So you can get rid of it, uh, the bile via feces and the kidney, through, the, through the kidneys via the urine. So the kidneys and the gallbladder... And the liver also, you know, does plays a role as well with that because the liver, I believe, produces um, I think somewhere around one quart of bile in a day. And bile is like a carrier for a lot of toxic substances that get dumped into the intestines. Um, so the, the the 
kidneys and the gallbladder play a role. Optimal kidney health is essential for proper detoxification. Kidneys filter the blood, you know, along with the liver. The kidneys are filtering, I can't remember, uh, maybe it's 120 or 150 or some odd quarts of blood in a day. And I'm sure that varies from person to person, depending on how big you are, your size, all that different kind of stuff. But point is, the liver is... I mean, the kidneys are filtering a ton of blood during the day. And maintaining a continuous flow of toxins through the kidneys requires adequate fluid intake so that you avoid dehydration. I'll, I'll, I'll quote uh, one, of my, one of my functional medicine mentors and a guy who I've learned a ton from over the years is Dr. Robert Rakowski, uh, who has a quote about, you know, uh, toxicity and hydration all that kind of stuff and he says the solution to pollution is dilution uh, so you, you don't want to you, you don't want to be dehydrated because dehydration is going to lead to an accumulation of toxins in the blood and that ultimately is going to affect the function of your kidneys right i can't tell you how many people i see that send blood work or whatever labs that they have done in in within the recent year before they start working with me and they all every single one of them either have markers for uh Pattern, the pattern of markers for acute hydra- uh, dehydration or chronic dehydration all the time. All right, so the, the, the kidneys and, and the gallbladder play a role. There's, there's actually a, a gut-liver axis, sort of a role that the GI system plays in detoxification. So, uh, as I mentioned, there are a number of, uh, of organs that are at play that constitute and influence the detoxification system. It's not just about, oh, I need to fix my detoxification system. Let me do this, uh, whatever, three, four, seven-day liver gallbladder cleanse. It's just not that simple. And if you don't have some of the more foundational things in place, adequately prepare the body for cleansing stuff like that all you do is displace toxins within the body you mobilize a ton of toxins from different areas and they get sent to a liver or a gallbladder or a kidney system that's completely overloaded and all you do is make yourself sick this is why so many people that i've talked to and you, I know you guys have also heard stories like this from people. They start a given quote-unquote detoxification program of some kind. And after one or two days, they're sick as a dog. Now, I'm not saying that some of that's not normal. Because it, you can't, the, the symptoms of, of detoxification that's moving too fast, you know, is basically just like the symptoms of toxicity that I started out talking about at the beginning of, of this podcast. It could be anything. You know, from headaches to nosebleeds to fatigue to feeling like you have the flu to whatever, right? So there's tons of things that can happen whenever detoxification is, is quote-unquote moving too fast or moving at a speed that the body is not capable of handling. Basically, you're not able to clear what you're moving around. So it's kind of like going into a room or a house that's been abandoned and it hasn't been cleaned in a decade. And your solution to that problem is to make sure that all the windows and the doors are closed and then start cleaning. 
It doesn't really do you any good. All you're going to do is kick up a bunch of dust, and the dust has no way to leave the house. So executing some of these cleanses and these detoxification protocols and herbal this and pop these pills and drink these things and cleanse that and all this kind of stuff without having the more foundational factors in place for detoxification to be prepared properly is, I mean, quite literally, you know, it's a waste of time. And whenever I have these conversations with people, they oftentimes get quite pissed at me because in the vast majority of cases, they've spent a ton of money on functional medicine testing for this kind of stuff. And they've spent a ton of money, four, five, six, sometimes 600, sometimes well over a thousand dollars on supplementation protocols for a month or two months or however long, sometimes indefinitely. And they're very upset with me whenever I tell them that they're pretty much wasting their time. They're like, well, come on, Brandon. I mean, you, you got to be, you know, be realistic here. I mean, this stuff helps, right? And, you know, typically my, my response, you know, usually goes something like this. Well, you know, pissing on a forest fire helps. Just not a lot. Right? You don't have you don't have the foundation that you need for this to be as effective as you want it to be. I'm not saying that what you're doing is useless. I'm saying that the when you're doing it makes it useless or at the at the very least makes it minimally beneficial. Right? So those are the kinds of things that have to be looked at in in you know significant levels of detail to make sure that people have what they what they need to have in order for these systems that are interdependent on one another to work properly so there's a, you know there's a gut liver axis and the your digestive system plays a role in detoxification nobody thinks about that Right, but think if you look at it from a from a volume perspective, over the course of your entire lifetime, the GI system is going to deal with about twenty five to thirty tons of food. That's a lot. Right, that 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 is actually the largest load of uh, potential potential antigens and xenobiotics and other things coming in to the human body, right? So an antigen is just something that basically triggers your immune system. So the GI system is basically the first point of contact for, for major environmental toxins. Yet nobody ever thinks about the, de- the, the digestive system as part of the detoxification system, but it really is. So the, the tips of, of the, so your, your intestinal tract is lined with uh, little finger-like projections called villi, and those are lined with smaller little finger-like projections called microvilli. And the microvilli lining in, in the intestinal tract contain an extremely high concentration of a detoxification enzyme that's called CYP3A4. And when you think about that, that immediately brings the digestive system in as another aspect of the process of detoxification. So the GI tract is receiving a ton, a ton of of external information, information that's coming in uh, 
from the outside and hundreds of species of bacteria and microbes and all this kind of stuff. Some of it is, is designed as, as part of, you know, our maintaining our, our microbiome and others, not so much. Right, so when there's a, a healthy balance of bacteria in the gut, and there's all sorts of stuff out there now on the gut and the microbiome and all this kind of stuff, but when when the when there's an imbalance in the bacteria in the gut, which is very very common nowadays, stand secondary to the way that people eat and live, substances uh, that pass through the liver and onto the intestines for 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 excretion biliary excretion become susceptible to reactivation by bacterial en enzymes. Right, those those enzymes are, are called the beta glucuronidases. Right, so they base those things will will take molecules and turn them back into their original form, <laughs> and then you, then they get back into circulation. Right, that's called enterohepatic circulation. Right, so that can happen, uh, particularly whenever things aren't working properly. You can just reabsorb sort of a like a reabsorption of toxins or toxins being converted back into their original forms so the detox of the the digestive sorry the digestive system plays a huge role in processing so a lot of the toxins that come in because you know when you're running through this fast food drive through or you have the the standard american diet or you're eating uh, an overwhelmingly majority of food that's coming out of the commercial agricultural agricultural industry you are throwing you know you're doing the equivalent of throwing molotov cocktail of chemical poisons into the system with every bite of food that you take so the gi system is playing a huge role in the detoxification process as well uh, there's a there's a connection between the liver and your heart right the liver is obviously technically speaking your liver is the greatest protector of your heart right because what does it do purifies blood and where does that blood go it arrives in the heart via the portal vein from the abdominal part of the digestive system the spleen and the pancreas so once the blood is purified, it passes through the hepatic vein into the inferior vena cava, which takes it directly to the heart. So there, there is a possibility that cardiac issues can stem from issues with the liver, and your liver issues can stem from a digestive component because your digestive system is somewhat defective, and the digestive system can be defective because for lack of a, a clinical term, you have piss poor food selection and a, a really poor quality of food supply. Right? So all of these things are connected. Then that venous then from there venous blood gets carried to the lungs. After leaving the lungs, oxygenated blood's gonna pass to the uh, where are we in this pathway here? We go through the left side of the aorta. And that's going to supply your body tissues with oxygenated blood. So, these things are sort of important. All of these connections with the liver and other aspects and the kidneys, gallbladder, spleen, 
digestive organs, the heart, everything is connected to everything else. You're not going to just magically improve your detoxification capacity with your three-day liver cleanse or your seven-day liver cleanse. It just simply does not work that way. I wish that it did because it would make my job a hell of a lot easier uh, working with a lot of people. But the, the important thing is to, as I said earlier, like everything else in life, the detoxification system requires balance. And it requires balance not just from the standpoint of balancing phase one and phase two within the liver, but it also requires balance relative to the liver's relationship to all of these other organs that are playing a role in detoxification as well. So it's important to remember when it comes to the balancing of phase one and phase two detoxification in the liver, the reactive intermediate uh, metabolites that are produced in phase one and like I said, I think I mentioned this earlier, in some cases, they can be more harmful than the original substance itself, right? So for that reason, it's critical that your, your phase two is on point, right? Because if you have an overactive phase one, then phase two can't keep up, right? If you have an underactive phase one, then phase one gets overloaded very fast, Right, so it's not good. People think would would tend to think, oh well, if I have a uh, if I have a really fast phase one, that's a good thing. Well, not necessarily because so you know if I can drink a pot of coffee and then go to sleep, I'm in I'm in business. That means I can detoxify really fast. Well, not necessarily because now you run the risk of overloading phase two. And a, another key point to keep in mind with some of this stuff because I'm I'm speaking in generalities. I'm speaking in terms of what generally happens within the context of human physiology, but. Some of this stuff is also highly subjective. So as an example, there was a man named Roger J. Williams, Ph.D. He wrote a book in 1956. It was called Biochemical Individuality. It's still one of my favorite books amongst the 632 books that sit in the library. And one of the things that uh, Roger Williams showed in that book, and he talks about it, is that even amongst individuals of the, of the same family, there could be up to a 1,000% difference in their capability of detoxifying alcohol as an example right so some some of this stuff is is subjective to the individual right so just because somebody can handle a ton of alcohol doesn't necessarily mean that phase one is sped up they just may possess a greater than average ability to detoxify alcohol right so roger williams's book biochemical individuality shows just that it shows how drastically different we all are on the inside we're just as different on the inside as we are on the outside so some people do have an ability to detoxify certain things really really well and some forms of toxin toxic exposure doesn't affect them the way it affects other people but generally speaking with phase one and phase two, you want these things to be balanced. That way, all the factors that affect metabolism at the level of the cell have the potential to, to run the, the, the normal processes that are responsible for allowing these things to leave the body in the appropriate fashion, right? So all the factors that affect metabolism at the level of the cell have the potential to basically... Uh, contribute or inhibit the activity of specific enzymes that are involved in the detoxification process. 
right? So that's one of the things <clears throat> that always shocks me about people that I've seen in the past and currently that are on all these very elaborate detoxification programs and none of their nutrition and lifestyle factors have been looked at. Whoever it is they're working with, they're not talking to them about the quality of their food. They're not trying to teach them proper food selection for energy production at the cell level. They're not talking to them about being adequately hydrated. They're not asking them what kind of movement they're, they're participating in or not participating in on any kind of a regular basis. They're not asking them about their sleep quality and doing anything necessarily to improve their sleep, which is a big deal. Uh, none of this stuff is, is ever looked at. Or maybe it is, and just every client that's come to me has just completely ignored the advice of the person that they're working with. But I have a hard time, you know, I, I suppose that is possible. But there's so many things that have the, the ability to, you know, enhance or inhibit phase one and phase two. You know, diet and lifestyle is, is certainly, you know, one of the first things that should be critically examined with a fine-tooth comb over a fairly extended period of time, if I'm going to be honest with you guys. You know, this is not something that you're going to do for a couple of weeks and then think you got the problem solved. You know, most people that are not satisfied with their current level of health and vitality and they've dealt with health challenge after health challenge after health challenge over and over and over again and can't simply seem to get right, they probably need at least a good 6 to 12 months worth of work on their nutrition and lifestyle factors. And, and to be honest, that's usually a minimum, right? Um, but diet and lifestyle, alcohol, smoking, and drinking, uh, all of these different things induce phase one with very little... Uh, influence or with very little induction of the phase two activities so lots of people are taking antidepressants as an example doesn't doesn't I don't think it really matters which one pretty much all of your SSRIs or your selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors slow down phase one detoxification there's lots of other medications that can do that as well uh, a lot of your uh, chill out medications your Xanax and your Valiums and all those type of stuff all those things can definitely slow down phase one uh, detoxification so that's uh, sorry if you guys heard had uh, some sort of a, a keyboard issue here just now my apologies let's make sure I have all this stuff uh, turned off so it's not going to create more sound and I don't know if you guys heard that or not if it's just in my headset um, So anytime you have drugs that are inhibiting phase one detoxification, other toxins, which can also, by the way, include other drugs that somebody may be taking, those things can build up to really harmful levels because of the liver's inability to eliminate them. So you have some medications that slow down phase one and allow the accumulation of levels of other medications because of the liver's inability to clear them. And then you can have all sorts of you know, side effects of those medications become more pronounced, so on and so forth. 
so all of your uh, there's tons of other medications that mess around with your phase one and phase two uh, detoxification pathways your your anti uh, anti ulcer or uh, what do you call those all of your antacid type drugs and over-the-counter medications, antihistamines, uh, antifungals, and uh, birth control or oral contraceptives, all those things mess around with your, with your detoxification pathways. Right? You also have toxins that can be produced in the gut. That's, uh, those are produced by pathogenic bacteria uh, that happens, and, and also they can be produced with the, the uh, putrefaction of undigested foods. This happens a lot whenever people have a difficulty uh, digesting uh, their proteins for any any number of reasons. So there's something that's in the gut that's called uh, LPS or lipopolysaccharide. It's also called endotoxin, and it's a it's a potent inhibitor of a number of the pathways within the cytochrome P450 pathways, which can impair drug metabolism. That can be a big big deal. Uh, endotoxin does a number of other things that I don't have time to get into. One of the one of the things that it does that's most detrimental to the biological system is it favors the uh, biological actions of estrogen and can actually increase estrogen by up to 500% in both men and women. Uh, but, uh, it, and it does that, it causes some, some, some prolonged cellular excitation and inhibits uh, glucuronidation, which is one of the pathways that uh, excess estrogen goes down for detoxification. Methylation is another one. Uh, anything that irritates the gut can lead to an increase in endotoxin production. So increase in endotoxin production can lead to impaired drug metabolism. Impaired drug metabolism can lead to all hell breaking loose for any number of reasons. Right. So obviously that you have foods that also play a role. Uh, foods that are loaded with for lack of a better term, foods that are loaded with crap, you know, preservatives, flavoring, stabilizers, gums, uh, you name it. <laughs> All of these things coming in can mess around with your phase one, phase two balance. Um, there's the, the, the list for things like that are, 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 are pretty endless, right? So... You have a lot of things like cruciferous vegetables and garlic oil, uh, and soy, soy foods, which everybody thinks is so healthy for them, and it's not. I'll probably end up doing an entire podcast one day on, on soy, uh, although you could probably just read uh, Kayla Daniels' book, The Whole Soy Story, and get more of an in, more informed on soy from that book than most other sources, but that's a really good one. Uh, but... Uh, that you know can all, all those all those things the cruciferous vegetables the garlic oil soy they they contain compounds that can induce phase two enzymes so they can kind of speed phase two up to maybe not necessarily a great de degree um, all sorts of things man there's, there's the the list is endless this stuff goes on and on and on and I don't want to spend a a, a ton of time uh, but the, the idea is to optimally support your detoxification system and also all of the other systems that are linked to the detoxification system. 
such as the digestive system, which is a big one because that one handles a lot of the load that's coming in from your food and or your water. Uh, so, you know, what are you what are you supposed to do as an individual, right? Because I, I oftentimes look at people's case histories and I'm doing their case reviews and I see all the stuff that they're doing and they're doing all these fancy things, but they're not doing the basic stuff, right? And if you talk to anybody who's great at their given profession, sport, whatever you, whatever you want to, it doesn't matter if you're talking about business or athletics or anything else, the people who are the the greats are the ones that have mastered the fundamentals. They've mastered the absolute basics of what's going on and what they need to do. They oftentimes don't have to do very complicated things because the, the, the foundation is there and they have absolutely mastered the basics. So a key point is to, first of all, if you're going to try to optimize your detoxification system or your detoxification capacity, you don't necessarily need to run out to the store or jump on some website and start ordering a cleanse for this or a cleanse for that or all this other kind of stuff. The first thing you need to do before you even consider doing any of that is to decrease your overall toxic load. Right Now, like as I said, you can run, but you can't hide. You're not going to eliminate all of this stuff to get yourself to a toxic exposure of zero. That is not possible unless you leave this planet and go to some utopian environment somewhere that probably does exist, but I don't know exactly where it's at, right? Or you turn yourself into Jake Gyllenhaal's character from uh, the movie Bubble Boy, which, I don't know, give us another year. That may be where we are. But suffice to say... You need to decrease your overall toxic load. How can you do that? There's a thousand ways you can do that, right? First thing you, you, you might want to think about is the air that you breathe, right? You can't do much about the air that you breathe outside. Uh, you know, I, I live in, in southern Louisiana in, in a part of the country that's called Cancer Alley. The air quality is absolutely egregious here, right? Now, it's not just because of the air that it's Cancer Alley. There's a, there's a lot of other factors involved in that, but... Taking into account the air that you breathe, particularly in your home and maybe perhaps in your workspace, if you have control over something like that. There are, I can't remember the company, and uh, I, was, I was supposed to probably research that and write that down before I started today's podcast. But there are a number of companies that make really good air purifiers, uh, and you can buy, you know, one of those or multiple of those and stick them in different parts of your house or stick one next to your desk or in your cubicle or whatever it is you have for a working environment that will help purify the air. There are also tons of plants that are really good at detoxifying specific substances. That's something that I've barely kind of scratched the surface with, uh, but I do know that, you know, if you, if you talk to a really good horticulturalist or somebody like that, or just there's probably books that you could pick up on it. Um, there are plants that you can place in your home or in and around your workspace that can do really good things for detoxifying the air. All right, so between air purifiers or if you want to be, you know, go on a more natural route with using plants, there are a number of things that you can do to improve your air quality. All right, the water that you drink, you want to make sure that stuff is clean. 
Contrary to popular belief, tap water is not clean. Can't remember where I read the statistic. I got it somewhere in the in the archives. But tap water on average has been in and out of, I want to say, 13 people before it gets to you. Which is kind of a disgusting fact. Um, or let's say it's a disgusting statistic. Um, and it, it, it may be higher than that. Maybe 22 people. I don't know. It's some. It's in the double digits of people that the water has been in and out of before it gets to you. So not a big fan of tap water. Uh, find. Uh, I, I, I use filters from a company called Friends of Water. So it's, it's uh, www.friendsofwater.com, I believe. They have filters that you can place on your shower head. They have filters that you can place on your... Uh, faucet in your kitchen sink and they have uh, a, a filter that's on top they have a filter that you can use that is a little more expensive that you can install in, in, that you can install under the sink to filter all of the water that comes out of your faucet even if you're going to be washing dishes so on and so forth they have tons of really cool filters that filter out all the crazy stuff that needs to be taken out of your water chlorine chloramines fluoride all the other halogens heavy metals so on and so forth taking all that stuff out of your water that way you have a clean source of water to drink from uh, you know if you're going to if you're going to drink bottled water what's ideal is to find it in glass that gets very expensive. Uh, artesian waters are usually the waters that are best. I believe it was Dr. Martin Fox uh, who wrote a book it was way back in the day, uh, The Living Water, uh, where he, he talked about artesian waters being the only waters that had actually... So whenever you puncture an artesian well, and I haven't done this personally, so I'm just kind of taking his word for it, but whenever you puncture an artesian well, the water comes to the surface naturally without having to be pumped out by human means which according to Dr. Fox meant that the water had gone through its natural life cycle on the planet and was now suitable for human consumption and it would come to the surface on its own so artesian waters are very good uh, the best bottled waters on the planet are uh, Evian, Fiji, uh, Volvic and there's another bottle of water, which I think is out of New Zealand, or maybe it's Australia, I can't remember, but it's it's called um, Trinity. It's a Trinity bottle. I, I haven't seen it much locally in my area, but the other ones I have, uh, Evian, Fiji, and Volvic, are available pretty pretty much everywhere. Um, and a really good water is going to have, you know, uh, a, a total dissolved uh, solids of about 300 parts per million or higher. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to have a hardness factor of about 150, and it's going to have a fairly neutral pH uh, around, uh, I believe, 7.2 or 7.4, somewhere around that. All these alkaline waters and 8, 9, 10, 11 pH type stuff, in my opinion, alkaline waters are a complete waste of time. Uh, maybe I'll do another, I'll write a note, maybe do a, a, a segment on uh, alkaline waters. Uh, at a later date but point being drink some clean water how much ah all sorts of different takes on how much water you should be drinking uh, technically it's going to depend on the person but generally speaking i would probably say that if you weigh more than 100 pounds you probably need to be drinking at least two liters of clean water a day and nothing counts in, in place of that. Tea doesn't count or, 
you know, no other beverage counts towards your water count other than actual water. There's all sorts of other things that you can do uh, from the standpoint of, of, you know, changing out, you know, household cleaners and trying to find products that are not chock full of chemicals that, you know, were designed to kill a small horse. Um, there are a number of companies that are out there that are trying to do good things to produce, uh, you know, household chemicals that are household cleaners that are not full of chemicals. You can use uh, the Environmental Working Group's uh, website to search for, I believe they rate things in terms of its overall toxicity and, and this type of stuff. Um, you know, if you're a female and you're wearing lots of makeup, you know, try to find, uh, you know, makeup and cosmetic products that are not chock full of synthetic chemicals and all these different things that are end up it's on your skin it's going to end up in your system to some degree uh, at one point or another uh, you can buy you know emf and electromagnetic frequency protectors and there's a number of different companies that that make cool things like that uh, you know you just have you guys have to just do your research and find the right one for you um so, you know, all that stuff is, is geared towards like your air, your water, and kind of filtering out some of the environmental toxins that are around you. Of course, when it comes to your food, it goes without saying that you want to remove the, the vast majority, if not all, of your processed foods and your, you know, commercially standard foods that are chock full of, you know, these, since, since World War II, you know, we've added at least 10, it's more than 10,000 man-made chemicals and less than 3% of them have ever been tested for any, in any quantity for their effects on, on, on human physiology. So uh, I think it was uh, Jonathan Brostoff, MD, who had research that said that the average, the average American was eating 120 pounds dry weight in food additives per year alone, which is quite an interesting statistic. <laughs> 120 pounds dry weight in food additives in a year alone and people can't figure out why they don't feel so well and most of those have never been tested for their effects on human physiology at all uh, the the chemical manufacturing and, and food manufacturing companies are allowed to produce their own research to show that a given additive or preservative or whatever is safe which is you know sort of a little bit of a conflict of interest uh, so cleaning up, I say quote-unquote cleaning up, getting rid of or removing the processed foods, getting back to eating things that are certified organic or biodynamic or, you know, at least go know the farmer at the farmer's market, support your local farmer type stuff, find out how they farm, what they use in their farming practices, uh, you know, get to know where your food's coming from or finding, you know, certified organic sources, um, to minimize as best you can you know can you ever really know if a company's telling you the truth nowadays probably not <laughs> you know but you do the best you can with what you got uh, but always remember that you know sort of a it's a it's a universal law right it takes life to give life so what i usually tell people is that if you're eating food that's more dead than you are then it takes your life force energy to re-enliven that food whenever you put it into the body and the longer you do that all you do is literally drain the life force out of your biological system 
and it won't be long before you're more dead than the food is. Right? So it takes life to give life. So make sure that the food that you're eating actually has life in it. There's no life in an Oreo. There's no life in a box cereal if that's what you're eating for breakfast. Those things are usually pretty dead. Right? So eating foods, yes, there are uh, certain foods that are more advantageous for cellular energy production because detoxification itself takes energy, right? Running all of these detoxification pathways and going through all these complicated, you know, enzymatic reactions and biotransformation processes from, you know, going from a toxic, really toxic substance to something that the body can just excrete out in the urine of the feces, that stuff takes energy. And it takes nutrients. And we talked about that. But if, if you don't have any of that in, in your uh, nutritional intake on a daily basis, you're just going to be running yourself into the ground. Right? And yes, in some cases, you may have to take a supplement here or there. Um, that's usually going to be person-specific, and it certainly shouldn't be something that you have to stay on for a lifetime. Most of the, if, if I'm going to recommend or, you know, at least educate someone on, on the potential need for a supplement of some kind, it's usually not going to be something that they're going to do for longer than two or three, maybe four months, and then they should be able to get away from it if they're doing what they need to do with their food and the way they're living, right? So you, you would use uh, support supplements only when you have a very, very, very strong nutritional foundation that's been established and you've probably been working on that for at least six months or longer. Right now, yes, if, if you've got actual data that shows a, a, a very gleaming uh, quantitative deficiency in a given nutrient, then yes, you know, supplementation can be, can be warranted in some cases. Um, but supplements can only work to the degree that your physiology allows them to. And that's a key point to remember. So that, yes, they can assist in providing specific cofactors that are required for enzyme reactions and protection against stress hormones and all this kind of stuff. But if you're taking a supplement without a proper nutritional foundation, then either, either number one, they're not, best case scenario is they won't work. Worst case scenario is they can actually be turned into toxic metabolites and perpetuate a toxic cycle. So supplementation can be necessary, but it has to be specific for the person at the, you know, it has to be the right supplement for the right person at the right time for the right length of time. Uh, so it's not as simple as saying, oh, let me do Dr. So-and-so's detox cleanse. Or let me, I, I need to do a heavy metal cleanse. What do I need to take? Well, before you do a heavy metal cleanse, you better get your physiology squared up and learn how to eat, make sure you can regulate your blood sugar, down-regulate the stress and inflammatory cycle, make sure you have some balance within the detoxification pathways, get your digestive system squared up, and do a number of things before you start trying to worry about clearing heavy metals from the system. Because if you, if you go about it in any other way, all you're doing is pinning the tail on the wrong end of the donkey. And that's not going to help anyone. You're going to spin your wheels doing that forever. So, that is 
you know, some of my thoughts on, on detoxification. It's not as simple as your run-of-the-mill seven-day cleanse. You know, the system, although it's very complex uh, in, in spots, it's it's highly efficient. There's over there's over 200 different processes involved in all of this, uh, and it's it's not an isolated system. There's no such thing as an isolated anything in the human body. There are certainly a number of subtle differences from one person to another, and those things will show up particularly when it comes to detoxification function. So as I mentioned, when I talked about uh, Roger Williams's work, one person's liver might be able to meet the detoxification demands of, of, a, of a crazy polluted environment, you know, and they may eat really terrible foods on a regular basis. And they seem to be perfectly fine. And now eventually that's going to catch up with them, but Another person could be completely overwhelmed, you know, just by walking outside and you know, pumping gas in their car. So it doesn't really matter where you are on the spectrum. No matter where you are today, right now, you can always improve your detoxification capacity and the function of your overall detoxification system. It's just a matter of giving not just that system, but the other systems associated with that system, all of the nutrients from the right foods at the right times in the right proportions that those systems need to be able to do their job. And if you can do that, and I'm not the type of, I'm not, if you talk to anybody who has worked with me or who knows me personally, professionally, it, I'm I'm the same person personally as I am professionally. I I am what I am. Um, some people like it, some people don't, and that's cool. Uh, but one thing I am not is I'm definitely not the type of person who's going to blow sunshine up someone's rear end. These things do take work. You know, it's not as simple as oh, you know, I'll just uh, I'll eat less cereal in the morning or something like that, right? You, you know, taking a Taking a fine-tooth comb to your nutrition and your lifestyle, your food selection, your meal frequency, your meal consistency, your nutrient timing, your your daily rhythms, you know, the, the activities that you, you do for yourself, the time that you give to yourself, you know, your, your working in versus your working out type stuff. All of these things play a role in creating a complete health picture. And it does take work. There's no, there's no such thing as a quick and easy fix without a huge price to pay when it comes to the human body. So, hopefully, this guy, this gives you a little bit of a 100,000 foot view of, of detoxification and what it is, what it actually is, and how it works within the body. Hopefully, you, you've come to understand that it's not an isolated system. It's dependent on other systems, and uh, one of the big ones is your digestive system. So if you're thinking about doing a cleanse of this, that, and the other, and you're not really changing what you're doing on a daily basis, 
with regards to your food and your lifestyle. And now this is for somebody who's not very happy with their current level of health and vitality. Look, if you're if you're completely happy with your level of health and vitality and you're eating the standard American diet and you're doing, you know, whatever it is and you're not looking to make any improvements, then I'd have a hard time believing that you'd even be listening to this podcast. But if I always tell everyone, if what you're doing is working for you, keep doing it until it doesn't work, you know, but realize that eventually, you know, a dysfunctional lifestyle will catch up with you. So hopefully I've I've been able to paint sort of an overarching picture of this incredibly important system as it relates to other systems in the body. And I just touched on a few with the heart and the digestive system. Those are big ones. Um, And do what you can to decrease your overall toxic load. Get some fresh air. Drink some clean water. Eat some food that's not chock full of, you know, chemicals and all sorts of fillers, colorings, additives, dyes, preservatives, you name it. Get some rest. Eat the best way you can. Remember that it takes life to give life and know that if you're going to supplement with some things that should come secondary to getting your physiology up to snuff so that your supplements can actually work. So that's my two cents on detoxification. As always, Appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, More than welcome any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, you name it. Please share the podcast with somebody that you think might find it interesting. Uh, Leave comments, get in touch with me, drop me a line, email, whatever. Uh, I'm more than happy to hear from anybody and uh, open to suggestions for this kind of stuff, topics for future podcasts, you name it. Uh, Give me your feedback. I'd love to hear it. Thank you all for listening and uh, hope, hope, to, uh, hope to have you guys along for the next one. That concludes this episode. Thank you for listening to Brandon Speaks. Feel free to reach out to Brandon via his website, www.innatemovewell.com. You can also send any thoughts you may have or suggest future podcast topics to innatemovewell at gmail.com. Brandon would love to hear from you. Follow him on his social media sites, which can be accessed through his website. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and share this podcast with anyone interested in taking their performance, health, and wellness to the next level. Hope to see you on the next episode. Until then, support the process of healing. And thanks again for listening to Brandon Speaks.